I love to cook. I can make delicious meals with hard to obtain ingredients. I can plan menus for a week and shop for each item without breaking a sweat. I can keep the whole list in my head and navigate the grocery store with both efficiency and sociability. I'm friends with the butchers. They know my name. I know theirs. I even know the nicknames that only they call each other. They're comfortable with me. Ricky, in the back, pressure washing stainless steel rolling carts with his headphones on, becomes, to those who spend 40 to 45 hours a week in his presence, pricky, like Ricky but with a P in the front. Christy, the only woman in a massive and ever-rotating fleet of male butchers, keeps her hair tight back in a ponytail, her makeup tattooed on, her face ever blank. She, in the company of her co-workers, morphs from Christy to Krusty. So, it's pricky and it's crusty. And then there's just Dave. Not much you can do with Dave. He's a nice guy all around, keeps his head down, does his work, covers for you when you need 15. Plus, his monosyllabic name doesn't offer much in terms of mocking schoolyard adjustments. Krusty didn't used to know my name. Really didn't have time for it. She had this magical way of working on getting the bulk sausage meat into the pre-weighed, pre-wrapped packages to go out once the butchers closed. Well, that part wasn't all that magical or impressive. She just weighed the meat, wrapped it up, and slapped a sticker on it, then on to the pricky pressure wash stainless steel rolling carts it would go, the carts still wet and steaming from the hot water solution. The magic was more in the way her peripheral vision would somehow fail to function the moment a customer would make it to the counter. These days, Krusty high-fives me. I never know when it's coming. She keeps me on my toes. Some days the high-five comes because she's from El Cerrito, and I'm from Monterey. Californians who got into Oregon before, in her opinion, there was no more room for Californians. Sometimes the high-five is because I'm wearing my bike helmet. And since Krusty is the only butcher who works out on a regular basis, it's just nice to be around someone else who gives a damn about their health and fitness levels. Her calves are sore, my back hurts. We're not getting any younger, she tells me, and then high-fives my palm with enough gusto to help take my mind off my back for a while, at least until the stinging subsides. Ricky has a dream, and he tells me almost every time I buy meat from him or pop by and route from produce to dairy to say hi. His dream is to get out of the apartment, find a house somewhere with a patio, buy himself a Traeger, and eat smoked meats for every meal, presumably for the rest of his life. Sometimes he brings up how good it'll be once he finally gets there. Sometimes I do, as I wistfully relate how sick I am of smoking up the house trying to recreate barbecue with my stovetop cast iron grill. Sometimes Pricky doesn't draw the connection, so he just nods and asks, was there anything else I could get for you? Sometimes I ask, though, about his dream, and he seems surprised that I remember. 
he lights up and says, hopefully by next spring. He's saving for the smoker and he's hoping for something affordable to rent. Damn small apartment, he says. I feel you, I offer. I always ask Dave how he's doing. How you doing, Dave? I say. Man, working too much. That's always his reply. I sometimes try to go further, but I don't often get anywhere. I wonder if he's working a full 40 or if he's covering shifts and getting overtime. How long you been a butcher? I ask him. Turns out, Dave used to work with kids at the YMCA in Vancouver before moving to Bend and getting into the boneless, skinless, the Wagyu, the T-bone. Compared to Pricky and Krusty, Dave is pretty bad with names. I think because I know his and use it with such unearned familiarity, he feels a little awkward asking for mine time and time again. He calls me man until I offer Morgan. That's right, he says. I knew it was something like that. It took almost a year before he started incorporating his regular vulgarity into his vocabulary. It turns out Dave doesn't feel appreciated. He works hard for his wife and two kids. He's trying to bring home enough literal and proverbial bacon. He wishes he had more time with them. Wishes they could all play more or just hang out or be by the river. His son is really into his tablet. Dave thought he might like a little laser projector that mapped the constellations across his bedroom ceiling. Within a few minutes of presenting it as a gift, his son was back to his video games. Dave told me he moved the projector into his bedroom and turned it on while suggesting to his wife that she put on those little shorts of hers. He laughed as he told me the story. Apparently, she wasn't biting. When I was younger, my two favorite lines of departure were adios amigo and see you later alligator. Those were my two, used often enough to become interchangeable in my mind. Adios alligator became my go-to. If you lived in my mind, it would have made sense too. Luckily, I was young enough for it to still be cute. As I got older, I traded my animal rhymes and my Spanish for my adopted identification with hip-hop culture. Peace, peace out, I got a dip, I'm a bounce, deuces, always with the backwards and upside-down peace sign. Backwards, in this case, assumes that the peace sign of the John Lennon era is the baseline for frame of reference. Backwards, in that the back of my hand faced the party from whom I was departing. Upside down in that the formerly V-shaped portion became a slightly tilted A-frame. There was this posture from that time in my life. It was used for departure, but also for stationary poses, either for camera or simply loitering. The left hand, primarily being used to hold the six sizes too large pants up, would grip either the belt buckle or the cloth of the crotch. The other hand would assume this new and improved peace sign, The face was neither a smile nor a frown. If we had the terminology of today to describe the expressions of then, I think the most accurate description would be resting, think you want to be a thug face. Yeah, 
That sounds about right. Today, my lines of departure vary depending on circumstances and relation. The one-size-fits-all convenience of adios alligator no longer seems appropriate. These days, if I were to hold the cloth near the crotch of my pants, most people in my life would be worried on my behalf, perhaps gently suggesting that the antibiotics for a UTI are still fairly effective, despite what the internet says. The most important thing for you to remember today is that you should only take antibiotics for a bladder infection when you have symptoms and a positive urine test. Also, it is important not to pressure your provider to prescribe antibiotics. Sorry, what was that? I got distracted, 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 distracted. To the butchers and the people in produce, the bakery staff, the self-checkout monitors, the register clerks, and the stray cart collectors, I always say the same words of farewell. See you next time, I say, as if there had been a board meeting for all those of similar fates, each of their responses are unanimously identical. Oh, I'll be here, they tell me, with a far-off look in their eyes, always somewhere else. During the pandemic, many of us have relied on grocery store workers to get us through. Those employees are deemed essential. And now there's an effort to make sure their pay reflects that. Now they're looking to give grocery store workers hazard pay. That would be five extra bucks an hour. After all, they are the ones out in public interacting with people on a regular basis. And while they have to show up every single day for work, those working conditions aren't always safe despite whatever the stores do. In fact, this is video that was shot by an employee in Oakland who wants to remain anonymous and you can see two women walking around the store without masks the employees said that they were asked to put them on but they instead refused and just kept shopping and the local labor union says it's situations like these that put workers at risk an increased risk especially with new variants and that companies that they work for should pay accordingly the numbers don't lie they're making a lot of profit it goes beyond just saying thank you. Thank you's not going to feed these grocery workers, 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 workers. My impression has been that once you're in with the butchers and the rest of the staff has a chance over time to witness firsthand the rapport you've built up, you're kind of in with everybody. The ones that never smiled at me start to smile. And truthfully, when you spend eight or more hours per day under harsh fluorescence, powerless as attention shoppers interrupts the music that is slowly driving you crazy, the distance between smiling and confiding is shorter than you might think. One day, I approached the counter for some spare ribs on special, and Krusty was pitched over the counter forehead almost touching another employee, name-tagged as Denise. As I approached, they hushed, but after it was clear that Krusty and I knew each other, the conversation continued, this time including me. Old Culver, in his late 70s who'd worked in produce since at least the beginning of time, was just getting off his shift that afternoon when in walked four big fellows without masks. Old Culver, no longer quite as formally dressed and certainly not on company time, took it upon himself to remind the young gents 
that there was a face covering policy in place, and that if by chance they had forgotten theirs at home, it'd be no trouble to provide them with a single-use solution to be worn during their shopping experience. The largest of the four, by word of Denise, responded to old Culver by cocking his fist back and knocking the old man out. Fist, jaw, floor. In a matter of seconds, right at the front of the store, an assault on a senior citizen had taken place in plain view with plenty of witnesses. There was a regular who, according to Krusty, had been coming in every single day for each day of the 10 years she'd worked there, probably much longer than that. He was, as Krusty described and Denise confirmed, a man of much smaller than average stature. I gathered this by the way they said small and short at the same time while using the gesture with flat of the palm at rib height, as in, you must be this tall to ride this ride. Having never met or learned the name or the nickname of this customer, I can't say if he enjoyed fair rides or if enjoying them was ever prohibited from riding on the basis of height. But even with all this unknown, the next part still surprised me. He, having just entered the store and witnessing the showdown, pulled a gun on the guys, told them to get out, and they scrammed. He tucked his gun and attended to old Culver, and that's all I know. Many other employees were having similar forehead-to-forehead exchanges as I wrapped up my shopping for the day. I knew exactly what they were talking about. Crazy, I'd say, shaking my head, and they'd look at me funny. Oh yeah, Christy and me told me everything. Denise couldn't believe it. I may as well have leaned forward, bent my head, and joined the forehead party. When I'm in the kitchen, generally, it's my way or the wrong way. Onions are cut just so. Pasta water is heavily salted, high water to noodle ratio, never oil. Dressing is made in such and such a way. You pound the garlic and the salt before you add the oil and the vinegar, double the garlic, cook everything on high heat. Don't bother coring the tomatoes, you'll never notice. Leave the anchovies whole. They'll break down as they cook. There is absolutely nothing about my take or perspective or opinion that is right. It is only my opinion, my preference. I know that I consistently make good food, and I know that I consistently put off others with my inability to collaborate, in the kitchen and in life. My love of people, my attentiveness to the micro-dramas that surround each individual, my interest in their name, their hobby, their favorite music, where they recently got their hair cut. It is not as simple as simply caring. 
I see others from a deeply rooted desire to be seen, to be validated, to feel that my life is important, of value. Oh, they'll be there, all right, I say to myself, carrying my bags of groceries to the car, there with all the inhumane demands of the minimum wage worker, there with the drama, the nitpicky nicknames, the young men punching old men, the small man with the gun standing up for the old man. They may never escape it, but see you next time is more than farewell for now. It implies my equal participation. I too will be back, pulled in by good deals, low prices, familiarity, chit-chat, and hovering on the horizon, distant and almost out of view, a sense of superiority that makes showing kindness that much easier. The superiority itself is imagined, but the effect is not. How easy it is to give if we believe that what we are offering is truly needed. Imagine the mind of Dave or Pricky or Krusty or Denise. Perhaps it is they who are offering me a kindness by remembering my name out of a sea of thousands each day, by joking with me to pass the time while they weigh and bag up whatever is on sale, letting me in on goings-ons of their world as a courtesy. What do we do when we realize it isn't one way and it isn't the other way? It is both. It is neither. Every moment, every interaction, each hang in the balance of the human experience. You cannot experience darkness without light, joy without sadness, a sense of belonging without knowing what it is to feel separate. The wind is blowing through the trees again. The birds ride it like waves. The song of the leaves and the song of the wind and the song of the birds all carry a message. I want to speak, to tell them that I hear it. I want the whole world to know. I'm listening. For these next 10 minutes, let's place our attention softly on the outbreath, touching it as it goes, reveling in the gap and the sense of no project between outbreaths, labeling our thoughts as thinking and then returning to the breath until the soft bell concludes our session for the day. Enjoy.
the wisdom of no escape. Yesterday, I talked about cultivating precision, gentleness, and openness, and described how the meditation technique helps us remember the qualities that we already possess. Now, sometimes the teachings emphasize the wisdom, brilliance, or sanity that we possess, and sometimes they emphasize the obstacles, how it is that we feel stuck in a small, dark place. These are actually two sides of one coin. When they are put together, inspiration, or well-being, and burden, or suffering, describe the human condition. That's what we see when we meditate. We see how beautiful and wonderful and amazing things are, and we see how caught up we are. It isn't that one is the bad part and one is the good part, but that it's a kind of interesting, smelly, rich, fertile mess of stuff. When it's all mixed up together, it's us, humanness. This is what we are here to see for ourselves. Both the brilliance and the suffering are here all the time. They interpenetrate each other. For a fully enlightened being, the difference between what is neurosis and what is wisdom is very hard to perceive because somehow the energy underlying both of them is the same. The basic creative energy of life, life force, bubbles up and courses through all of existence. It can be experienced as open, free, unburdened, full of possibility, energizing, or this very same energy can be experienced as petty, narrow, stuck, caught. Even though there are so many teachings, so many meditations, so many instructions, the basic point of it all is just to learn to be extremely honest and also wholehearted about what exists in your mind, thoughts, emotions, bodily sensations, the whole thing that adds up to what we call me or I. Nobody else can really begin to sort out for you what to accept and what to reject in terms of what wakes you up and what makes you fall asleep. No one else can really sort out for you what to accept, what opens your world, and what to reject, what seems to keep you going round and round in some kind of repetitive misery. This meditation is called non-theistic, which doesn't have anything to do with believing in God or not believing in God, but means that nobody but yourself can tell you what to accept and what to reject. The practice of meditation helps us get to know this basic energy really well, with tremendous honesty and warm-heartedness, and we begin to figure out for ourselves what is poison and what is medicine, which means something different for each of us. For example, some people can drink a lot of coffee, and it really wakes them up, and they feel great. Others can drink just a thimbleful and become a nervous wreck. Everything we eat affects each of us differently. So it is with how we relate to our own energies. We are the only ones who know what wakes us up and what puts us to sleep. So, we sit here, on these red cushions, in this brightly lit room, with this fancy colorful shrine and this huge picture of the Karmapa. 
outside the snow is falling and the wind howling. Hour after hour we sit here and just come back to the present moment as much as we can. Acknowledge what's going on in our minds, come back to the present moment as much as we can, acknowledge what's going on in our minds, follow the out-breath, label our thoughts thinking, come back to the present moment, acknowledge what's going on in our minds. The instruction is to be as honest and warm-hearted in the process as you can, to learn gradually what it means to let go of holding on and holding back. The message is that each of us has all that it takes to become fully enlightened. We have basic energy coursing through us. Sometimes it manifests as brilliance, and sometimes it manifests as confusion. Because we are decent, basically good people, we ourselves can sort out what to accept and what to reject. We can discern what will make us complete, sane, grown-up people, and what, if we are too involved in it, will keep us children forever. This is the process of making friends with ourselves and with our world. It involves not just the parts we like, but the whole picture, because it all has a lot to teach us.